This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We are talking about Acts 10 again, so let's take a closer look. Yeah, um, so I use several commentaries to help me kind of think through. I have about seven or eight, I can't remember um, off the top of my head right now, but seven or eight of them that I read every week um, in preparation for these uh, stories... And my favorite one is by Willie James Jennings. Mm-hmm. He's a black liberation theologian. Um, just gold. It's the perspective he has on most of these things is, is so good, so needed. Um, but another one that I really like is William Willimon. And if you didn't know, William Willimon is um, a professor at Duke. He's one of the pastoral professors. And he also does a lot of, like, preaching um, classes. William Willimon has outlined Acts 10.1 through 11.18, and he calls it the climactic um, story of the book of Acts. Like, it's the peak of the storytelling. And so for... Reference this this section of text that we're talking about is everything that's began with Peter and Cornelius up to this point. Mm. So Peter's vision of the unclean things, his conversation with Cornelius, the stuff that we're about to have, and then Peter's going to give a speech here in a minute that uh, is going to be included as part of this. Originally, well, William Willimon says that this is like the culminating scene that it is the the climactic scene, the one that everything's been building to, the us versus them, the power metaphors, all of it come to its head in this moment where it's like, hey, no, God's actually in pursuit of those that we didn't think he was. Um, But he says it's a seven-scene story, and we have already been through the first four scenes, and the reason I didn't bring this up before is because I wasn't really sold on the idea. Right. Um wasn't really sold on the idea of taking this as one literary unit and breaking it into these seven-part scenes. However, the way that Dr. Wilmont has done it, I think, is just superb. And so we're when we finish this next week, we're going to talk more about those seven scenes, and I'm going to kind of put the picture together. But this is just a teaser for that and to let you know that today we're looking at scenes five and six. Okay. So we've already done the main elements of Peter and Cornelius's interaction for the first part of chapter 10. Now we're about to hit it with the second part. And this is where Willie James Jennings, I think, is super helpful because he talks about it in the idea that this is Peter's journey of listening. Mm. And Clayton, I say it all the time. You've heard me say it numerous times. I think one of the biggest problems in America is that nobody's listening to each other. Ain't that true. And what do I say about the reason I love to read? It's because it forces me to listen. Right. I mean, reading is a way I, I can't, I mean, I can argue with a book, but that's real stupid. Mm-hmm. 
reading forces you to listen to the opinions of other people. And so I, when, when Willie James Jennings first said this in his commentary, that this was the journey of Peter listening and listening for the word of God in the places that he didn't expect God to speak. Um, and what Willie James Jennings ends up saying is that listening becomes the new world order. Mm. Now, what does he actually mean by that? I put this on my Instagram the other day. If you don't follow me on Instagram, at Pastor Cullen, it's pretty easy. I put a lot of content out on my stories. I love people to interact with me there. Um, and I put a lot of stuff that I'm just thinking about, faith and the Bible and prep work and all this kind of stuff. But I, I put this, I took a picture of this on my stories, this section of Willie James Jennings uh, commentary. And in it, where he says listening is the new world order or the new created order, the new order. I can't remember how he words it exactly, but um, in it, I put the economy of listening because in the Bible or in theology, we talk about the activity of God through the metaphor of economia, e economy, um, this buying and purchasing of such. And so I put that, the economy of listening, and that, excuse me, the economy of salvation is what we would normally talk about, mm -hmm. right? And so I put the economy of listening yields the economy of salvation. Because, Clayton, do you believe in the contextualization of theology? Do you believe Absolutely. that each individual context has the freedom to experience and interact with God the way that they feel God leading them? Absolutely. So that means you have to listen to them in the way in which you, they think God is asking them to act, correct? For sure. Great. So you feel that way right now, correct? Mm -hmm. 100%, 1,000%. Absolutely. So when Peter says in verse 34, or when the text says, then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. Stop. Done. Conversation. Um, does God show partiality? Sometimes it does kind of feel like it oh, does. <laughs> there it is. How so? <sighs> well, you and I were talking off camera before we started. Um, feels like he showed lots of partiality with David in some areas. Seems um, like, well, we're talking Old Testament. We are right? talking Old Testament there. It seems like God showed a lot of partiality in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the first part of chapter 10? Yeah. The unclean and or clean and unclean conversation. Right. Um, today, does God show partiality? I cannot speak to that. And I refuse to speak to that. From from this, I can speak to this because I can look at the the whole narrative. I have and, a hard and, time. And what do you what do you think? Looking at the whole narrative, do you think God shows partiality? Kind of seems like it at some points. Yeah, it does, don't it? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate. Um, because here's what I've noticed. The Gospels and Acts. 
they don't seem to show partiality. Paul, Peter, James, Jude, mm. yeah, John, yep, those guys seem to show some partiality. Yep. Um, I don't know. I'm just pointing out observations that I see. Peter says that God shows no partiality. Um. I was having a conversation with someone on Instagram the other day. Um, you know, the stuff that's happening in Israel right now, attacking over the uh, journalist's funeral. Um, somebody asked me on Instagram, how, how can we continue to make space for Israel when they continue to act like this? Hmm. I mean, well, all of the New Testament, even the book of Acts says to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Right. And so God did show some level of partiality. And it is subject to question whether or not he, they still show partiality to Israel. Right. And Willie James Jennings, to his credit, or maybe, no, 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 sorry, this was William Willimon. It wasn't Willie James Jennings, but William Willimon points out, artfully so, I might add, um, that who are we to say that Jews aren't a part of the fellowship because they don't believe the way we believe when they've been through Egypt, they've been through Babylon, and they've been through the Holocaust mm-hmm. all because of who they worshiped. I think he's right. We, we should be careful. Yeah, I agree. Um, here and we should be careful saying that God shows no partiality because here's what I think I think God I think it is a true statement that God shows no partiality yeah. I think people in positions of power that speak on behalf of God show mm. lots of partiality there you go um Clayton, who who are some people that categories of people? Okay, let's do it that way. Categories of people um, that seem to be shown white partiality. American being shown, yeah, 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 not people that are showing partiality. Correct. I want the ones that are not treated as. Equal. Who? What are the categories of people that oh, the God. church historically LGBTQ women, um, in, racial minorities like black come people? On. Yeah, black people. We live in the Bible Belt. Let's name it. Black people. black people. Black people. Black people. Even in the Book of Acts. Yep. Homeless the Ethiopian people. homeless people. Hold on. Oh, homeless yeah. people. Homeless people. Yeah. People with mental disorders. Yeah. Right. Oh, they're just demon possessed, and then they don't yeah. do anything about it. Correct. Okay. I could go on with that forever, so let's move on. Yeah. Well, but that's the point. We can't just move on. Right. Um, We've been doing that. We've been just moving on. Oh, no, no, no. We need to have this conversation, and this is something that needs to be fixed, but that's not me listing out the the people groups. Yeah, no, no, no. The people group, I see what you're saying. The people group listing could continue to go on. I got it. Um. 
I've been borderline run out of jobs because of my affiliation to the LGBTQ community. Um, I've had very inappropriate things said to me when I have dated African-American girls as a white man. Um, All by leaders in the church. Um, Heck, when I was married, my ex-wife, if you didn't know, is Colombian. So I was in an interracial marriage. Uh, she was very much so her skin color and the f- the skin color of her family was very different than mine. And their first language was a different language than mine. I was absolutely in an interracial marriage. Um, and I got told by a church member of a church that I was on staff at that they do not support interracial marriage. Actually, never mind. And this guy, here's the crazy part. This was in like 2019. This wasn't that long ago. Actually, I am going to say this. Actually, what this person said was they don't support biracial marriages, not interracial marriages. Which just shows shows levels of genuine ignorance. Ignorant, yeah, just literally uninformed. Which which is proving this point further. Yeah. Um look. Absolutely, God does not show partiality, but people in positions of power who speak on behalf of God absolutely do. And that's part of the problem. Uh, another category of people I wanted you to bring up that you didn't was pedophiles. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, that's one. That's an under-talked-about group. Well it, is, well, it is, and it's because... It's uncomfortable. Well, it, and it, it, it harms the most vulnerable of vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and and children, this is, this is my one argument against it being a sexual orientation, is children cannot consent. Right. That that's the, consent is the problem in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these are, these are problems, and historically, people in positions of power in the church have shown partiality against these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but Peter, and this is this is the part I want to draw out to you. Peter jumps on the scene, and literally the first real opportunity he gets to speak, he says, I see that God shows no partiality. And then he goes in to one of the most beautiful, like, gospel presentations I've ever read, ever heard. This is what the text says. I'm going to just read 34 and on. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did in both Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Gorgeous. Gorgeous, beautiful presentation. Even coming down to verse 43. Remember, Peter's just a good Jew, right? All the prophets testify about him. About who? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Is that what the prophets testified, Clayton? Well, they testified about a Messiah. That would save and be the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. For Israel. Right. I mean, it was the covenant given to Israel, right? right. It is now oh, become for so Peter. Yeah, Peter has reinterpreted the whole thing. Yeah. And this is the part that I want to draw out here. We're going to continue moving on because we're running out of time. But I need to highlight this for you. The end of verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Right, just, good. Diakonos, righteousness. Mm -hmm. the, the, the right way, not the crooked way, the just way. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's how he starts. And he gives this beautiful gospel presentation. This is where verse 44 picks up. While Peter was still speaking, we don't know at what point when Peter was speaking, but at some point when Peter's still speaking, the text says the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. Interesting. What word? I guess the word that Jesus, that Peter was just speaking. Ah, yes. The word about Messiah. Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's important. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Why are they astounded that the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles? Because, honestly, to this point, all they had really experienced was that Yahweh, Yehovah, was for the Jews. And now they're seeing the Gentiles experience it. Well, I mean, they've got some elements of grafting in. Right, right but, like, kind of rare... And honestly, kind of frowned upon, come to Ezra and, Ezra and Nehemiah. Coming to the post-exilic period, it's definitely frowned upon. Uh, it was frowned upon before then. They just right. kind of ignored it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think the reason they're astounded is, Clayton, because they're listening. Mm. Verse 46 for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Hmm. Clayton, think back to Acts chapter 2 and think about that moment where the Holy Spirit is poured out. Think about that sermon that Peter gives where he quotes from Joel chapter 2. Yeah. Think about all that's happening there. 
And remember, those are all Jews. Those are all the believers right. in Jerusalem when that happens. They're not in Jerusalem anymore. Right. They're in Joppa. And the same thing is happening somewhere else for a different group of people. Gentiles. Yeah. So what does that mean? It means Jesus is, is for everyone. The way is for everyone. And it means that the way that they're about to worship said Yahweh is going to look a little different. It's not going to look a little different. It's about to change drastically. It's the entire book of Romans, bro. Yeah. It's about to look a lot different. But look at what Peter said. Without hesitation. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Baptism is the like the epitome of inclusion into the Christian community. So, he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. It's also really important to note that baptism is a Jewish cleansing ritual. Uh, Technically, baptism is just a cleansing ritual of which the Jews have adopted. Right. But yes. Sure. They are inviting these Gentiles in to a cleansing ritual of that that the Jews did. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is them accepting them into this new Judeo-Christian thing that is being created. Like, that is a big deal. It's Oh, colossal. That is, yeah. that is a huge deal. It's not just like, we, we talk about baptism today as if it's just like, yeah, we dunk people left and right. Yeah. That was not this. Um, well, it was becoming this. Um... I'm not sure, bro. Baptism was such a part of culture but and society for a Jews. Jew. Jews inviting Gentiles into baptism. Well, you had God fears, bro. God fears were Gentiles who were faithful to synagogue. They were faithful to prayer. They did the things. They obeyed the law, and they did baptismal rituals. How common was that? Though? Anytime you went to the temple, bro. They were outside the temple. Seven steps in, seven steps out. It's really not that uncommon. And it's not it's not until the patristic period mm-hmm. where you start to get like catechetical schools and like this idea of waiting and discipleship before baptism. Mm-hmm. No, they I mean they really are just dunking people right away. I mean it, it really does the sense that mm-hmm. I get from it in Acts. Now, by the time you roll around to Paul, mm-hmm. but remember Paul's first letter is probably the Thessalonian correspondence, and it's probably not until the mid-50s. Right. Jesus probably is crucified around the year, like, 29. Right. It's like 25 years they have to go before we get the first letter of Paul. Right. Um, It's been a lot of crap and probably some bad habits that have kind of been developed. Yeah. Uh, they do seem to really dunk a lot of people. Now, Peter seems to be concerned a little bit, but, like, Philip didn't have to check with anybody before he dunked the Ethiopian eunuch. But that that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm trying to communicate here. What I'm saying is there's a huge cultural barrier being broken here by the Jews inviting the Gentiles into this ritual. Yeah. 
I think the no. You, where your head is is correct. I'm correcting you on a more academic way because you have God fears that God fears are just Gentiles that are living as faithful <laughs> Jews, and they were everywhere. The New mm-hmm. Testament, the Gospels talk about God fears. Mm-hmm. Um, God fears are all over the place. Heck, technically, Timothy's dad is a God fear. Okay. When we get to Acts chapter 16, Timothy's mm-hmm. dad is a Greek. Uh, yeah, technically his dad is a God fear. Um, kind of. Um, the reason I'm giving you pushback on on that is because there wasn't really a question of like inviting them in. Is more so a question of equal status. Mm. Okay. Um, they were always around, right? I mean, think back to Rahab. Think, okay. Think like fair, yeah, th- fair. There's fair, lots fair. of uh, Ruth, the Moabite. I mean, there there's lots of foreign people around that are Gentiles. Um, <coughs> yeah, I mean, there's lots of them around. That's not really the problem. The problem is that they're unclean. The problem is that they're not equal status. The problem is that Jews still thought they held like a better place. Mm. And now Peter's going, no, 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 I don't do that. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's how this is happening anymore. And part of the thing that gets him there is he hears them speaking in tongues, doing the same thing that was so powerful for him that mm. God was doing a new work in Israel. Right. He's now witnessing the same thing in them. Yeah. I think that. I said earlier, I'm not sure at what point this started happening because the text says while Peter was still speaking, I'm not sure at what point this stuff began to happen while Peter's speaking. My guess is right away because here's why. Go back to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Hey, Clayton, um, once you think about nations in the world. Wait, ask that question again? I want you to think about nations okay. in the world. Um, most of them have a native language other than English, correct? Yeah. All of them have cultures that differ from American culture in some way. Absolutely. So, if God truly shows no partiality and God accepts anyone who fears him and um, acts justly, yeah, does what is right, um, doesn't that mean they get to pick what's right? And if they get to pick what's right, doesn't that mean that they have to tell us? And if they have to tell us, doesn't that mean we have to listen? Mm. Maybe, just maybe, the ministry that we've all been waiting on to push the church forward 
is the ministry of listening. 